just don't know how to read scripture. They just don't know how to read scripture. And then they, well, I want to learn how to read scripture. So I'm going to go take a class on hermeneutics. Guess what happens when you get out of your class on hermeneutics? You still don't know how to read scripture. You don't know how to read scripture. So you take another class on hermeneutics. And then you still don't know how to read scripture. And then you take another class on hermeneutics. And then you think, well, maybe it's not hermeneutics. Maybe it's homiletics. Maybe I need to present. Maybe it's applied theology. Then I need to learn to, 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 to put these things to feet. But ultimately, God has revealed himself through his word. And he will reveal himself to children through the hearing and the reading of the word. And he will reveal himself to smart folks and to not so smart folks. And to pretty folks and to not so pretty folks. And to, and, and to you know, people who are able to read and people who aren't able to read. And so if what it takes to understand scripture requires a classroom, then God has done a very sorry and poor job of revealing himself. And so I do believe, because the Bible attests to it, that the scripture, the New and Old Testaments, are sufficient for salvation and also sufficient in all ways and in everything to teach us everything that God is revealing about himself in all ways. And I believe that any person at any age, at any time, by the Spirit, can learn the deep truths of the Bible. It doesn't take numerology. It doesn't take anthropology. It doesn't take archaeology. It doesn't take theology. It just takes a mind opened up by the Spirit of God, and then we learn who God is. We learn who God is. And one of the biggest disconnects that we see in the context of the Bible is that people don't know how to make connections. You've heard me say this a thousand times over if I've said it once, that Old Testament theology is understood, trumped, administered, exposed, exposited by apostolic authority. Something of that variation. So in other words, there are a lot of people who are Hebrew scholars. I'm sorry for them. You know, and I've got friends. Sorry I'm talking about y'all. Yes. Talking about my friends. I'm sorry that you spent, you know, 14 years to study Hebrew and now you know all the cool things about it. That's interesting. It's no problem. But it doesn't make one better to understand the Bible. I have friends who have terminal degrees in Greek and higher criticism. <laughs> sorry, it doesn't make you able to better understand the Bible. As a matter of fact, it convolutes the very nature of the simplicity of God. It convolutes the very nature of the expression of God in the text that a child alone can understand the fullness of who God is. It doesn't mean that these things aren't interesting or beneficial to some degree. I mean, my goodness, if we're going to have hobbies, let us at least have hobbies that, in, you know, involve the Word of God, right? But, beloved, I believe that if we read everything through the lens of Christ, I believe if we read everything in the Bible, everything in the Bible, and we know that the, the Old Testament, and how it's, especially the Pentateuch, especially Moses' writing, if we know how all of the Bible is written and why, we can look through the lens of the cross. We can look through the lens of redemption. And the purposes of the Bible are to show God's people the power and the providence of God in salvation. And that what God decrees and declares, he determines. And what he determines, he does. And there's no stopping him. And that's what the Bible's about. The Bible is about God decreeing, determining, and doing salvation for his people. To the praise of his glorious grace. It is about showing that even in the most minute details of DNA, even in the most minute details of, 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 of the world and the cosmos that is infinite, we see redemption. It's redemption. It's about Christ and his people. Marriage is about Christ and his people. Creation is about Christ and his people. Judgment is about Christ and his people. All the people of the world are divided into two camps. They have the elect of God and the reprobate. And God is the one who determines who is in either camp. And God is the one who determines how that is revealed. And God is the one who determines when a sinner comes to know the truth of redemption. And God has already determined all those things. Beloved, we have a literacy problem in our culture. A literacy problem. Genesis, uh, you know, we'll go through the whole book before it's all said and done. We won't stay here until we're finished, but we'll go through the whole book. There are 50 chapters in this thing. 50 chapters. 
And it's only divided into two, two things. The first half of the book, well, not half, but the first 11, 12 chapters. 12 is when, yeah, that's when Abraham comes on the scene. First 11, 12 chapters is God creating the world and all the peoples of the world for redemption. In the picture of redemption. How God relates to the world. How God separates the nothing into something in order. And how God creates people and separates them in something of order. So he can show himself the light of the world in redeeming his people. And then he specifically out of the world selects a man named Abram. And then that's what you know. chapter 12 sort of segues into 13 to 50. And 13 to 50 is really the story of Abraham that opens the door for the rest of the, New, the, rest of the Old Testament to show us redemption. And so I will tell you that the whole of the Old Testament in its entirety, in the context of its narrative, is outlined in the first chapter of Genesis. Just like in John's Gospel, everything that John writes in his Gospel, all the narratives that he places there under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit are outlined in the prologue of the first 18 verses, so are the Old Testament narratives outlined in the creation account. Now you might think, well, goodness, I've read this a thousand times. I've been reading Genesis my entire life. Yeah, but what happens when we go to Genesis? What do we do in our culture? We are not reading with a new mind. We are reading with a culturally inept mind. We are reading from an academic, and I don't even, I don't even want to abuse the word like that, but we're reading from an academic point of view based on some other men who are very popular and famous who've written a lot of books about the topic of creation, about the topic of Genesis, and we think them the experts, and they are telling us things that we can't see. But we take it in hook, line, and sinker. Oh, now I know. No, we don't know. Beloved, just because it is inferred in the context of Scripture, if it is not inferred in a blatant way, it is not biblical doctrine. It is inference. God is not in the business of hiding stuff that you've got to be wise enough to see. The gospel is hidden. And when God the Spirit opens our eyes, we see the gospel. Then we do grow in our reading of the scripture. What does it mean to study the Bible? That means to have the Bible in your eyes. Not a pencil, not a pen, not a commentary, not a notebook, not a weird old pastor, not anything like that, but your Bible. But we need to know the gospel. That's why I always emphasize that we need to be reading the gospel of John. On an ongoing basis, every day of our lives, there needs to be some interaction with the Gospel of John. And there needs to be some interaction at all times with the apostles' teaching to the church because we are the gathering here. And we're in covenant community together. This isn't a free will choice like, well, Burger King or McDonald's today, where are we going to be? No, these are the people who love the Lord and these are the elders who are teaching the Scripture and this is the, this is the truth that I know to be the Christ of Scripture and I want to be involved and intimate with these people, good, bad, and ugly. And nothing can separate us from the love of God. Therefore, there should be nothing that can separate us from the love of one another. And as the marriage is a small, little, tiny, microscopic picture of this incredible, eternal reality, till death do us part. Well, that sounds like a cult. Well, that's what people call Jesus. That's the point, isn't it? That's the point. So we see this letter, and we, we, we look at it, and there's a lot of confusion over Genesis, not only in the creation, but the fall, and all of the, the different ways in which the people have tried to interpret this critically. And I think you do look at things critically. You can look at all information. You need to look at it critically without a critical evaluation, but by what standard do we evaluate? By what litmus test? What, what, what is the answer key? Through what lens are we looking? If No lens? Mind open, mouth open, bottom open, no pants? I mean, what are we doing here? It's, you know, the coronavirus is simmering down. Get dressed, folks. We look through the lens of the gospel of free and sovereign grace. We look through the lens of the eternal decree of God who created the world so that he would create a people for himself and be magnified. That means to be made big, to be shown and revealed his glory as he really is. That means to see him hugely for what he really is 
in the redemption of his people. So everything in the Bible points to that. So read it from that point. And the great thing is, is that James Tippins doesn't have to be a scholar in, our, in the cultural sense. He doesn't have to know a lot of stuff if he just reads the Bible. If he reads the gospel and he reads the letters of the New Testament, then when he reads the Old Testament, that stuff is going to come to life like never before. There's a lot of confusion. Some people think that Genesis creates the idea of a human kingdom. And the purposes of God was to create a human kingdom. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Well, it's about a king. And, and that's where we get all these different dispy views and all these different ideas of, uh, of you know, what last days are and all these different strange notions of, of you know, is it helicopters or dragons? What's happening here? We don't know. Who's going to win in the end? God has already won. He's victorious over sin and death because that's what he came to do. That's what Christ has done. Some people get confused over Genesis by the fact that they think, well, there's some creative intention here. There's something in, in, in God's teaching this through Moses so that we could know the science behind creation. That's nah, got, got nothing to do with it. Science to, the, to Moses was everything that wasn't on the dirt was heaven. Everything above the dirt was heaven, and it was mysterious, and we didn't know anything about it. Now you can buy tickets to outer space. You can. They're on sale right now. Go, go for it. Take a picture for the love of all things of the earth when you get up there so we can put the flat earth people or prove them right, whatever it might be. Take a picture. We got pictures of toenails on our Facebook pages, but nobody's been to space just took a picture of the, of, of the sphere yet. You know, it's just a joke. And you're like, what the heck? Sermon's done. Let's pray. <laughs> Some people look at Genesis as scientific evidence for the existence of God. It's not the point. It's not the point. And the more that we grow and the more that we understand, do you realize we think in our day that we have discovered the, the, the sub-particles of all things? We think that, that we have been able to see the most minute details of all things created. We think we're the smartest generation ever. But we're not. We're dumb as a bag of hammers, y'all. Because God has not revealed himself to us in the fullness of all things. Yet, you want to see what's at the center of DNA? God Almighty and his decrees and word. That's amazing. And I'm enamored by it. I'm enamored by motion and power and force. I'm enamored. I love it. I bog down in it. I'm enamored by the idea of time as a construct. And that it actually has something to do with weighing down on us and I'm glad I didn't do many or any drugs as a young guy because I probably would have never come out of it but that's not what Genesis is about Genesis is not even about scientific proof of creation it's not here to parallel science it's not the point God isn't wanting to prove himself in any way except to show himself in every way in the redemption of his people so the whole of the Bible then, if I could just be so bold, is about election. The whole of the Bible is about election. It is about God's electing grace. Because without God's electing grace, he would have never revealed himself to anything. And he does not need to reveal himself to anything. There would be nothing to see God if God had not decreed to elect a people for salvation. So the whole of the Bible is about election. God creates a people for his own glory, saving them from the chaos and the death and the darkness and bringing them to himself, to his life, to his glory, to his love, to his grace. And there is no other narrative or purpose in the Bible. There's no other reason that it was written. This is it. Otherwise, if there is another purpose, man and his intellect are necessary for the revelation and the understanding of God, as I said already. And that's not the case. And if we get the Bible wrong, we get the Lord himself wrong. We get God wrong. And if we get God wrong, chances are we could be getting the gospel wrong. That's at worst. At best, we could be applying things wrongly on the burdens and the backs of our brothers and sisters to the point where they are not free in Christ. You see how easy it is? So what's wrong with that? Shape them up a little bit because their joy is gone. Their freedom is gone. They can't worship. 
Hope is in the balance. Do you realize that the ultimate manifestation of God being glorified in our lives is that we are free and we have joy? Without fear and without doubt, without frustration in the context of this wicked generation in which we live and the world which crashes down upon us and the pain and the suffering and the, and the frustration that, that piles upon our hearts and plates every single day. God is not glorified in anything except when we rejoice in the midst of all things. And if we get the Bible wrong, then we're getting confused. If we equate the narrative of Israel as an application to the New Testament church and what he or what she must do in the context of being approved by God, then we are losing ground in the the joy of the gospel. Well, as we read this text this morning, there's there's a lot of words. There's a lot of words that just stand out in this text. And, and some of the words I want you to just listen for. I want you to listen for the word God. How many times that, that we hear the word God in this text? And the word God is not a name. It's, it, it, it's Elohim. It's, it's the idea of a high one, the highest of all things. That's what God means. So if God is the highest of all things, then nothing can be above God or that would be God. Nothing can be equal to God or that would also be God. We see the persons of the Trinity in that context. But keep in mind that we hear the word God a lot. We hear the word darkness and light a lot. We hear, we're going to hear the word blessing. We're going to hear the word image. We're going to see the idea of perfection. We're going to hear the word good and made and God said. And if I had time, and I am not a Hebrew scholar, but I have friends who are, and they have written a lot of cool tools, not that it matters, but there's some really neat stuff that go into the Hebrew writing of Genesis. That when Moses penned it, there are, some, there, are some ways in which, there are some ways in which the Hebrew people wrote to solidify perfection in a poetic way. And there's a lot of things that show perfection, like the number three, the number seven, the number nine, the number twelve. And the expressions of those numbers, the factors, the sums, the products of those numbers. And if we have time, maybe I'll talk about it in the days to come or the weeks to come, but... For, the, for today, let's move on to the text. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the sky and the dirt. The atmosphere and the land. That's what that literally says. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the day light, day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it be separate from the waters from the separate the waters from the waters and God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse and the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants, yielding seed and fruit, trees bearing fruit in which, in which is their seed, according to it, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, And the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, 
livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, man and woman, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, look, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with, it, with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that is the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And I think that should go with chapter 1. And here we have the creation account. Here we have Moses, by the Spirit of God, writing the beginnings. The beginnings of all things. The beginnings of all existence. The beginnings of life. The beginnings of purpose. The beginnings of order. The beginnings of redemption. And then the histories of people. So that it could show us God's sovereign power over all that he's made. There's a popular idea amongst many professing believers even about the freedom of the will. The decisions of man, how they impact the world, you know. And I, I've probably seen every time-jumping movie that's ever been written, even the bad ones, <laughs> for weird, strange reasons. There's always this butterfly effect. There's always this thing. You tell this, you see this, you say that you sneeze over here. It's going to cause a havoc. It's going to mess up timelines. Well, folks, there's one thing that I guarantee you is that there's not another James Tippin sitting at another timeline somewhere. Because you're talking about chaos, the world would go upside down. What about you? And the decisions we make on this earth, while they do have consequences, while they are free in some degree because we all dress the way we're dressed. We all have our hair the way we have our hair. But even then, psychologically, I can prove to you that that was not a free choice. As an illusionist, out of all my children, only my six-year-old, seven-year-old wants to be an illusionist now. But she's ready to go on YouTube and trick Penn and Teller. <laughs> a month in, she's an expert. But can we always say the right thing to cause you to think the things that we want you to think? We can give you the, the, the semblance of free choice and, then show, and, and by force you will always pick the very one that we want you to pick. It's the way it works. And that's not how God works. God decrees and there it is. But beloved, if we think that the will of man, the volition of man, that's why I read John 1, the first, the prologue of John as we got started this morning, because the scripture says that no man, the will of no man, the mind of no man has chosen to be born of God. But the God and his will alone. Ephesians chapter 1 says the very same thing. Chapter 2, by grace you have been saved through faith, which is not of your own doing. God has caused us to be born again. Paul says that to the Ephesians, and, and Peter writes that to the Jews in the dispersion in his first letter. We are not free creatures. We are clay molded in the hands of our Creator for His purposes. And His purposes are good. God's intention in the creation was not to create a perfect world. God's intention in this creation and the fall was that the fall would take place, that he would put forth all things to bring a people to himself by his power. Now people like say, so, well, is that fair? It's beyond fair. It's perfect. It's perfect. 
well, I don't like that God, then He hasn't revealed Himself to you. I'm going to say that again. He hasn't revealed Himself to you if that God is offensive to you. And that's okay. It's okay because in God's timing, if you belong to Him, He will show you the truth through the hearing of His Word. But here we have some things to think about. We have some things to think about. In the beginning, we see that in John. We see that here in Genesis. John was writing with the right view of Genesis in mind. In the beginning. That doesn't mean... Long ago in time, once upon a time, that means before there was time. Before there was time, there was God. Before there was anything, God was. God, by definition, according to the scripture, has always been. That means he never wasn't. And he doesn't have a beginning, so he's eternal. But everything that exists in the world, as we'll see today, I mean, John John summarized this, didn't he? All that was made, he made all things. And nothing that was made exists Without him. He's done it all. Paul says in Colossians 1, he upholds all of it by the word of his power. Beloved, that is an incredible promise to us, the elect. So I want you to see just how beautiful this is going to unpack. I could barely sleep last night because I love this text so much. Because it just relates so much to the gospel. But in the beginning, God. God is the one who is here. God is the one who is doing something. In our English translations, they do miss some stuff. They do miss some stuff. They miss the beauty of the, of the Hebrew expressions. They miss the, the chiasms. They miss the poetic way in which these people wrote. Now, when did God reveal this to Moses? When he was a little boy. When he was being raised in the Pharaoh's palace. And his mom would teach him the things that her mother and father taught her and Grandparents taught them and great-grandparents taught them and it was oral tradition. Now, I have had the opportunity and the privilege of knowing many of my greats, my great-grandparents, great-aunts and uncles. Some of them lived to be near 100 and one uncle that I had was a great-uncle. He was born, uh, goodness, 1901 and I was able to know him and to sit with him and to talk with him. And to hear these people tell of these tales and tell of these stories and, 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 and they're corroborated by the others and of generations. We have lost the skill of hearing. We've lost the skill of communicating. We've lost the skill of taking arguments together and, and putting them down and, and putting them into words and, and telling a story. And letting that story be validated by continued historical preservation. And I think it's because we are more selfish today and more self-focused today than we've ever been. And I'll be honest with you, and it's not because I'm a boomer, because I'm not. That's not my generation. But social media is destroying the brains and the intelligence of our world. It's It's garbage. The quickness of it. You know, when we first learned to text and have that T9 text, we used to text in paragraphs, because that's what our generation did. We wrote language. And I remember LOL and BRB and all the, and now there's so many abbreviations that I feel like somebody is speaking some foreign language when I get text sometimes. I'm like, what the world? Is this a code to the launch pad for the Department of Defense? What is this? And I have to go find my children. What are you, Dad, I'm going to be late for work, but please pick up my shoes. I don't say that. What is that? This is nine letters and two periods and a squirrely. That squirrely means. I'm tired. I'm sorry. I can imagine when if I'm in the nursing home one day, how my children are going to communicate with me. The Hallmark cards are going to be like post-its. Ridiculous. Point being, the people of antiquity remembered stuff. They told people things. And then at the, point of, at the time appointed by God himself, he caused Moses to write these things down. And to take scribes and other people and those that he mentored and those that God were, was preparing to, to, to continue to lead his people in their understanding and knowledge of his promises. He wrote it down. And it wasn't new to them. They didn't hear these things that Moses wrote one day. And went, oh my, I've never thought. They're like, 
finally, I've got this written down. I don't have to remember it. <laughs> don't lose the paper. There was nothing. There was no time. But when there was nothing, there was only God. And God is self-sufficient. And in this first line, it says, In the beginning, God, He is the only one there. He started something. He created something. And this is a one-liner that tells everything. Here's what it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the dirt, the land, the ground, and the atmosphere. This is what it's saying here. He created it. And the very next thing that is said is the earth, the land, look at this, was without form and was void and darkness was over the face of the abyss, the deep, the emptiness, the nothingness. The word there, nothingness, is a better translation. And God and the essence of God was there over the face of this nothingness. The Bible is not telling us in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that there was water there. Water is symbolic of an abyss. Water is symbolic of life, even, in, in, in the New Testament. But in this context, this land, this sky, the atmosphere, there's nothing. There's nothing. That's what the Scripture's teaching us. There's nothing. It's amazing how many doctrinal positions have been created based on English translations over the last 500 years. My 16-year-old daughter is named Ruby. Last night she said, Dad, I have looked at my Bible and I've looked in your Bible and I cannot find my name in the Bible. Proverbs 31.10. I said, oh, baby, we got to pull out the older versions. <laughs> it's in all of them. She was so relieved, she took a picture of it. Probably put it on Snapchat, Facebook, whatever else she does. Squigglies, exclamation point, and some hashtag or something. Booyah, I don't know. What will archaeologists think in a thousand years? They won't think at all because there will be no written record of anything. But there's many things that people try to say there. See, there was, some already, there was already something there. No, this language is showing there was nothing. There was nothing. God created. God has made. God has made the sky. God has made the land. God has made something in place of the fact He was hovering in His essence. He was with nothing else. That's what the abyss is supposed to show us. That's why it says the deep. The abyss. And water is symbolic in this sense as lifeless and nothingness and darkness and chaotic. I mean, think about it. Am I, am I stretching this? Isn't this? I mean, if you've ever been, I mean, some of you might have been in, in the Navy. <laughs> I got friends that were on submarines for a year, and I'm like, what in the world? Oh, I thought it was great. I thought it was awesome. I don't want to stand on a dock in the windstorm. I don't want the rain coming sideways. I don't want to be, I don't want to look at the ocean. I don't like it. It's frightening. I don't want to go to outer space. We got a free ride. See ya. I'm not going. You better take off without me. It's chaotic. It's it's vast. It's horrifying. I don't want anything to do with it. So the symbolism of this in chapter, I mean in verses one and two, we need to get it. We need to understand. This is what is being said. That out of nothing, there was only God with nothing but Himself. And He created all things that became out of nothing. The earth, the land, had no form. It was devoid any substance. It did not exist. It was formless. It was dark. It was without any real purpose. Because it did not exist. Chaos. Non-existent. Purposelessness. Darkness. Darkness was over the face of the nothingness. But the Spirit of God was there. That's the picture Moses wants us to see. Why? Because otherwise we... 
fabricate some idea of what might have been there with God eternally. Otherwise, we're going to try to go and become creation scientists. Otherwise, we're going to try to become, you know, Christian scientists. Nothing wrong with being a Christian and being a scientist. But isn't that the way it is? You know, for those of you who've ever done research, terminal projects, maybe master's degrees. If you're using empirical data, if you've got a thesis, you can squeeze it. You can find the data. You can ignore some stuff if you want to. I got 400, I got 400, uh, uh, you know, citations. I've got, you know, I've got 160 to 170 references already, sources. I just laid this one aside. We can practice and plan and do what we want to do. We can make it work. Beloved, we don't have to make God work. He's working. We don't have to reveal God through any other means. He's already done it. He's shown himself to be the one who was there before there was anything, and then he created everything, and he caused and started the beginning. That's what Genesis 1 1 and 2 is supposed to help us see. And John makes it known. In the beginning was God. And God was with, does it say what? It doesn't say anything. It doesn't say God was with a whole bunch of chaotic uh, cosmological stuff. It says God was with God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning. That's all there was. And then all of a sudden things are there. This reveals what is before creation. And it's only God. Only God is before creation. Everything else was nothing. There was nothing. There was nothing. Romans 1, the creation clearly shows. Colossians 1, he upholds the word. We're going to go to these things. Hebrews 1, we see all this stuff. But the point that needs to be pressed is if we don't get this right, we're going to mess up these six days and we're going to misunderstand the very point of this being written down so that we understand what day seven is. He created all these things in two parts. Day one through three, day four, five, six, so that he can show you day seven. Birds exist so that Christ is our Sabbath. The atmosphere, rain, is because Christ is our Redeemer. This is election's purpose. Remember what I said? The whole narrative of the Bible is about election. About God doing what He decreed to do and by power putting it into play. I don't even like to say that. Bringing it to fruition. Before any time was or anything was God. In Hebrews chapter 11 it says, By faith we believe that God created the world. What does this reveal? It reveals that God created all things. And before God created all things there was nothing but lifelessness and nothingness. God is... And all other things come from Him. He is the cause of all things. He created all things in order to be seen for one purpose. His glorious grace. Realize nobody worships Him because they enjoy the Grand Canyon. And if they do, it's wrong worship. Right? They don't give thanks to God for creating the Grand Canyon... Only those who are elect, who see His glory in redemption, praise Him for Christ. And in comparison, the Grand Canyon is like, who put this mud hole here? Oh, can't wait for God to fill this in. This is in the way. God is seen as the one who creates all life. God is seen as the one who alone can make order out of nothing. God is the one who overcomes the darkness. Just think about this. God is the one who orchestrates all things after the counsel of his own will. You see the, the apostles' teaching? Everything that I've just said comes from a New Testament letter. God is seen as the one who alone determined that which reveals him. God is seen as the one who manifests his wisdom in his order of creation. God is the one 
is seen as the one who causes all who see him to see him. God is seen as the one who sovereignly masters his own purposes for his own glory. And I want us to see this in two senses. I want us to see this in these next six days. And in, in, in maybe not two, but just a couple of things to think about. That God is revealing that he alone can create all things out of nothing. And that God alone reveals what he has done for his purposes that, is, that are good. That are good. So in this... We see this land that is non-existent. We see this sky that is non-existent. We see this water which is representative of nothingness. No form, no life, no purpose. Chaotic, devoid. So the sky and the land with the waters are pictures of nothing that all of a sudden because God created all these things, they became something. And God will not create. He will create with purpose. He will create with order. And in that order, he will reveal himself. And ultimately, in that revelation, he will show himself to be Savior and Redeemer of his people. So God expresses his self-revelation in creation to show his election of his people in redemption. I'm going to show you that. What's the very next line? In our translation, it says in verse 2b, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. Let's translate it this way. And the very presence of God was in the presence of nothing. The very essence of God was there with nothing. In the emptiness of all nothingness, God was. So get this, beloved. Everything was there already. Because God is everything. All I have is Christ. We sang it this morning. This is it. This is how Paul could say, I counted all as loss. This is how we can look at trials and go, just a thorn, just a hangnail. Ah, that really smarts. Let me clip it off. <laughs> Everything that matters in all preeminence was already there. God himself was there. And he created the world that he might create us to see his glory for who he really is in the person of Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. That is why the world is. Now, there are a plethora of philosophical ideologies around this notion. But they are abusing and not listening to the apostles. And they have created their own Old Testament theological systems that are not exegetical. They're not exegetical. And they are the dominant themists of our day. The Spirit of God... The presence of God was present over nothing. This breath, the spirit, the presence, the essence. This is the presence of God. He, Elohim, the high one, is present in the nothing. He is the only thing that is present. And God is doing something here in Genesis. He's doing something. He's making something. God is redeeming something by creating. What is he redeeming? Nothing. The nothingness he's creating Everything out of it. And he is visible in this. By revealing his redemption as a sovereign creation. Of his own power and desire. This is what God is doing. So God presents himself as the creator out of nothing. He is there. Nothing else is there. God is with himself. John 1. We've already said that a thousand times. God is doing this for himself. And God is creating in order to reveal himself in the light of what he is showing his creation. And there's tons of things that I'll talk about as we move through this text in the months to come. But the rest of the Bible follows this pattern. The rest of the Bible follows this idea, especially the totality of the book of Genesis. We see what God is doing. We see that he's creating order, that he's creating life, that he's creating beauty, and he's creating purpose out of nothing, out of death, out of, out of, death, out of chaos, out of waste, out of darkness. Because what do we think about when we think about the book of Genesis? We think about the people of Genesis, of chapters 1 through 12. We think about, oh, the world just went to heck in a handbasket, didn't it? What's wrong with these people? They're people. That's what we do. That's what human beings do when given any opportunity to do anything. We take glory for ourselves. 
We need to learn to think simply by faith. As we see the scripture unfold and we watch God make life and reveal, reveal himself. In verse 3, let's look at 3 through 5. And God said, let there be light. I don't even know if I'll get through with all this today. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. That ought to bring it to you, folks. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night and there was evening and morning the first day. God said, you're going to see that over and over again, God said. What is this? This is God decreeing something. God stating that this shall be. And everything that God decrees comes to pass. So that which God desires, he decrees, and it is done. Now, think about that for a second. Well, God desires X, Y, Z, but he's only going to do A, B, C. Baloney. That's garbage. That's theoretical theology. That's philosophical idealism. That's humanism. That's Satanism. I'm just going to call it what it is. Luciferianism, if we want to be academic. Don't call it Satan. Luciferianism, then. Who, as a created being, stood before the counsel of God in the presence of all that which is holy, righteous, good, and perfect. And in his heart, he thought, I'm looking pretty good. Why am I not standing on the stage? And God threw him out of heaven. And he was created for that purpose. So it's always been that the creation wants to share in the glory of its creator. I mean, we do that, don't we? I mean, you ever heard a famous person not throw names? You ever heard somebody, you know, I mean, if my daddy was the king, don't you think I'd tell you? My daddy's the king. I mean, my daddy was the sheriff, and I like to tell folks about it. I made a lot of enemies that way. That's what we do. We don't want to keep it ourselves. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to be quiet. We, we, want to, we want to share. And we're nothing in and of ourselves, but by goodness, if we're connected in any way, you know, so-and-so tweeted at me. Even if it's bad. If a popular person tweets at somebody, they're going to share it. They're going to screenshot it. I mean, could you imagine making much of being a created thing? To the point where we say we deserve to stand up there and get glory that belongs to God. But it's what we do, beloved. It's what the world does. And God is decreeing all that He has eternally purposed. And it did come to pass in creation. And it shall come. And it did come to pass in redemption. And it shall come to pass in glorification. We will be glorified with Christ. The irony behind that is the very thing that Lucifer wanted, we get. We get to share in the glory of our Savior. We get to stand with Him. We get to sit next to Him, with Him, as He is on the right hand of majesty. You talk about a rub. You talk about a rub. That's bad. That's chafing in the tenth degree. It's rough. And then God said, He decreed something. He said, Let there be light. And then there was light. And the light was good. And God explains. So in this these six days, God decrees, then God does. And then God the Spirit through Moses explains a little bit of how those details look. It's not different things, God saying this, and then this happens, and then he goes, Bleh! it's not phantasma, what a ta- fantasia, what is that Mickey Mouse thing, you know, where he's creating things with the, you know, the old, gosh, I just dated myself, didn't I? I don't even know. I think that thing was on long before I was even born, but I don't know. God's not a wizard out there with a magic wand wooing the world and the cosmos into being. And He said it, there it was. It came into being. How did it happen? I don't know. But he gives the expression of when he said, let there be light, we notice that on the fourth day he also created some lights. Lights to govern the day and the night on creation. So this light is a lot different. 
In John's gospel, we see that the life was the light of men that was in Christ. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. We also see John say that darkness shall not overcome the light of the Word who is God who created all things. So here, we're having to understand that the apostles define Genesis. That the apostles tell us, by God the Spirit, that Genesis chapter 1 is supposed to be showing God's sovereign election and revelation of Himself in creation. So this light is God's glory being shown. Something now can behold Him. Other than the celestial beings, which don't exist in this realm. (laughs) Touche. He did cast him down, but you'd see what I'm saying. Let there be light. He's showing himself by decree, and then now by power, and there was light. God then, in the midst of nothing, shined. 2 Corinthians 4 6 come to mind? You should tattoo that one on the wall somewhere. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is in the business of showing himself as he sees fit. Creation sees him. Creation reveals him. Creation is for the sake of redeeming his people for him. And God is glorified and the light was good. He saw it. He made it. God in power revealed Himself. And in this now, we see the further explanation that God separated the light from the darkness. Colossians 1. Anyone? You have been what? Transferred out of the domain of darkness into the light of the kingdom of His Son. You've been snatched out of darkness. Your blind eyes have been made to see. You don't think the Jews put this together when the blind man... Came up seeing. And they accuse him of performing magic tricks on the Sabbath. How dare you do the work of God on the Sabbath. Creation. Creating eyes. I bet the man wasn't even blind. This is a whole scam. It's a conspiracy theory. His family set this up from the beginning. Some 39 years ago. That's a long stick, isn't it? And guess what he got? Thrown out of the temple. God separated from the light from the darkness. The darkness shall not overcome the light. We shall not remain in the darkness. God is decreeing and bringing to pass his sovereign and free grace for his people. The darkness being death, God creates life. God creates light out of darkness, nothing. He creates all things. This picture is the purest and simplest point of Genesis 1. Let's not miss it. God in the creation of the sky and the land is showing himself as the sovereign creator of the world. And in doing so, he is proving himself and showing himself that he is doing all things to be the sovereign savior of his people. Many people can intellectually see the power of God in what he makes. But only those who God gives true eyes can see his glory in redemption. Now God has made a day. Day one. Time has come. Time has been created. Time will bring His glory through the person of Jesus Christ into the world for His elect. And we will see this promise in this picture continually throughout the rest of this letter. Day one. God makes glory revealed from nothing. Verse six. We see these words. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let the waters separate from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, skies. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now think about that for a second. God's not just going, boom, here's a bunch of stuff to see. Look what I made. In Roanoke, Virginia in 2005, 6, yeah, 5, 
I was standing outside a kiosk of a good friend of mine named Mark, who was a professional magician, semi-retired at the time. And as a, a magician, your, your pockets are typically always full when you're active. <laughs> you got stuff everywhere. Some of my friends carry birds and all sorts of things with them. Uh, it just that's what we do, okay? And a woman walked up, and she was looking for silks. And we sold silks at the magic shop, of course. And she's saying, oh, let me see those silks. And she's looking at the silks and all. She's very eccentric. She's talking about how she was in Tibet one time, and she met some kind of magic man there. And I'm just doing some coin manipulation just in my hands. So I'm moving a coin, and I vanish the coin. And then I do like this, and a sponge ball appears. And I'm just doing it. And she's watching. She goes, oh, you have the power of creation. I'm like, no, you think that's bad. Watch this. And I vanish the coin, and then, you know, we're magicians. We follow each other. It appeared in his hand. <laughs> Next thing you know, it changes to a flower and then a silk. And, oh, you've got the power of creation. You've got, you're able to create anything out of nothing. I said, woman, with all due respect, if I could create anything, do you think it would be antiquated half dollars and sponge balls? <laughs> or would it be wealth and medicine and health? I said, this is a I showed her how to do it just to disillusion her. That's what people look at. They think God just created something. Poof! Look at me. Look what I did. Ta-da! I got to sit stage. I got to sit at the stage. Robin and I did. She didn't enjoy it as much as I did. But I got to sit at the stage at a uh, magic show in Vegas. David Copperfield. There's two other shows I want to see. One of them is obsolete now because the Tiger sort of took it off. Uh, but I'm glad I got to see it. And I took notes. And you could say that it was really upsetting David. <laughs> I just I didn't want to forget these things. It's just amazing talent. It's good stuff. And when you're that close and you can't figure it out, when you know, the, you, know, you know the trade secrets, but you can't figure it out. It's like, wow, this is great. And so I was just amazed. You know, sitting there and there's nothing. All, poof, there's an Edsel. <laughs> poof, there's a bird. Poof, there's a llama. <laughs> I mean, like, this is great. This is good stuff. That's the way people look at God sometimes. If God created things. Poof, there's a world. <laughs> oh, look at all the birds. Look at the fish. Look at the sea. Ah. Poof. It's not the point. God's not just putting something out there with no purpose. He's not putting things out there with no order. God created the world in, in, in a way that has purpose. And that purpose is to bring His people to Himself. That purpose is to show that He's the giver of life. And that only He can create the environment where life can be. And where life can multiply to be blessed. That only God can create things in such a way out of nothing to not only perfect an intricate system of life in the sky, in the atmosphere, in the soil, in the seas, in the lakes, in the ponds, in the rivers, on the backs of, of leaves and a droplet of rain, but that that order is nothing compared to the whole point of it all is that the order of all creation is to give hope. In the redemption of his people. So God separates the darkness of the waters. He, he separates them. He separates the atmosphere, the water that's all up in the sky that brings rain. And he separates it from the water that's down below. Amazing. This water that is covering all things. It is about to be... It is preparing to be used for living things. It is preparing to bring forth land. And Jesus, as we know, is the living water that comes from above. And God has decreed and done the work. Day two, God decreed to split the water and God did it. In verse 9, 9 through 13. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. 
And then God brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the third day. God said, and then God did. God decreed, and then God delivered. God purposed. Now we see that God will order a place. He will order a place. He will create a place. A place where things can live. An environment where things can live. An environment where things can be blessed. Can be approved by Him and multiply and grow. And become more and become more. So God creates the lands and the seas in the manner in which He pulls His people out of darkness. He separates them and out of the chaotic symbolism of the deep, of the abyss of nothingness, He creates the seas. And out of the seas, He brings forth land so that we can live. The rock of our salvation. The foundation. God is light. He overcomes the darkness. God makes land. He overcomes the abyss. God creates life, living vegetation on the land. And only He can do that. The land and its substance reveals God's provision for life and most importantly for eternal life. Out of death, out of nothing, the darkness cannot overcome it. So day three, God decreed and God created. God made a place on which to stand, a refuge, if you will, a home for His people. We're not mermaids. He he created humans. And He will continue to do this throughout the history of man. Verse 14. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be a sign for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and to rule over the night. And to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. God has now said again. And the scripture says here that he's created the celestial bodies, the lifeless planets and stars. What do they do? According to the psalmist, they display the handiwork of his hands. They display his glory. They teach of his creative power and his glorious providence. He creates them all. They declare his glory. God sets forth the cosmic order through which all life will be sustained. Just you think about it for a second now? It's, it's a delicate balance. There's nothing, you know, the moon just can't blow up and expect not to destroy things. It's necessary. God created it and purposed it necessary for the sustenance of life. God did it. By his hand, by his command, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So now when you hear Paul say that in Colossians You need to think about it a little bit differently. It's not just that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things that upholds it by the word of his power because he's sovereign, which is true. But he does so as a promise. As God in creation sustains life, so God as Savior will sustain us eternally through Christ. For him and by him and through him, all things. And God made these two great lights. And then we're going to have to pick up next week. God made these two great lights. The revelation of His glory even in creation that reflect Him. And that one as we know is a reflection of the other. The one that comes by day. The star which provides its own source of light. This is the creation of what gives light to the earth. It causes things to live. But even at night there is a reflection of that glory as the world turns. And shadows. The very light is shined in the darkness. The darkness will not overcome it. We can see in the creation of the cosmos and the celestial beings that God's creative power is in the midst of all circumstances. It's in the midst of great darkness. Even when we see the darkness turn and we see the seas rage, we have the light of the gospel in the midst of it all. You see this. And then he shows us hell on earth with people disobeying and causing ruin. But he never, ever fails them. He never fails his people. God will make two peoples. 
He does make two persons, but he makes two different types of people. He creates those for honorable use and those for dishonorable use. If you want to borrow Paul's verbiage in Romans 9, and in the context of that theologically, God has created all people to divide them into two parts, one to be darkness and others to be light. And he's done so by his sovereignty, after the counsel of his own will. And he will be present among both. The chaff will be in the church. The reprobate will be in the church. They will gather. But the elect he will save. The elect will ultimately shine as the moon does. As a reflection of his glory. And he will shine before all of them. But only one will see. Only the elect will see. Only the elect will know him. Only the elect will live. And so in day four, God creates these celestial bodies to reveal his sovereignty, to reveal his sovereign grace and his promise of life. And beloved, we could, every day is like this. And we'll pick up from here next week, but be encouraged. Read this, read this text. Read Genesis 1, read John 1, read Colossians 1, read Hebrews 1. Go in and read those texts this week as we continue. And until we get through with the first three chapters. I'm going to teach out of Genesis until we get through with the first three chapters. Then we're going to go to 1 Timothy and then we'll be flipping back in two. But beloved, be encouraged. I hope this is not the first way you've ever looked at Genesis this way. Because I'm sad for you, but now that you've heard it, I want you to read through the lens of Christ. I want you to read there and to see the sovereignty of God for us. This is how we worship in truth by the Spirit. To know and to understand. Now I'm sure there's a lot of questions. And tonight at Theology on Call. I probably have a lot of questions concerning this. But well, what about this? Or what about? Okay those things are interesting to discuss. But that's not what the Bible is trying to reveal to us. The Bible is revealing God in his sovereignty. To create a people for himself. So be blessed. Let's pray. We thank you Father for the truth of your word. We thank you Lord for your servant Moses. Who was a servant. He was not a son over the affairs of your house as you teach us through Paul. But, Lord, he's just like the rest of us. He was a vessel of mercy chosen before the foundation of the world to live in the world, to declare your great gospel, the good news of your salvation, perfected for all time in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, as we look at this world around us, and all the things that cause us to go, wow, Lord, let us continue therein. But, Father, most importantly, let us just be in awe of your grace. As it points to the promise and to the power of salvation. That there is nothing that takes place. Nothing. Absolutely nothing that is outside your purpose. We have ordered it all. You have even ordered the chaos. And so, Father, in all of that, we can worship you. And we pray these things in Christ's name.